The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it's very nice to be here with all of you. Oh, yeah, this is really loud. Can you? <laughs> I'm hearing myself as an echo. Yeah, it's very nice to be here with all of you. And uh, Jim, thanks for that nice introduction since you didn't have a bio. Um, so uh, I thought what I would do tonight is try to merge two different ideas that I've been working with lately uh, into one talk. I hope it'll be uh, clear, but um, let's give it a shot and see. So I want to start with a, uh, with a quote from the Anguttara Nikaya. It's a quote from the Buddha, and he says, uh, mind is radiant and pure. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements or kalesas in Pali that we suffer. So, the Buddha said that 2,500 years ago, and uh, he said that in India, and now I want to read you something that's a little bit more modern from, from this North American continent, and it's uh, a Native American Cherokee story, which I'm sure many of you have heard before, but I'm going to go for it anyway. It's called Two Wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside of us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, faith, and compassion. The grandson thought about it for a minute, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one that you feed. So, what are these kalesas? What are these defilements that the Buddha was referring to? Essentially, what they are is that they're mental states that arise in response to some object of awareness being wrongly known or perceived. And these might come in the form of feelings or moods or thoughts, mental states, assumptions, actions. And they always arise out of attachment, aversion, and ignorance, delusion. So uh, we're all subject to experiences uh, where we misperceive what's actually going on, what, what our actual direct experience is. We're just not understanding it or seeing it clearly. 
And when, when these, these stresses or these defilements or these, uh, these habits of mind are accompanied by this quality of attachment, uh, they, man- they manifest as a, a clinging, uh, a, uh, an, a sense of entitlement, and uh, a, a sense of like things have to be the way we want them to be. Our preferences, our views and opinions, and our preferences are really important to us, and we become like attached to them, and we don't see what's actually happening, and we don't see the attachment. When these things are accompanied by this quality of aversion or not liking, or they manifest as anger or hatred or rage or sometimes even striking out, people can really get carried away. And if we internalize this kind of aversion, it's often uh, it, it's always oppressive, but it often shows up as frustration, uh, victimization, self-pity, despair, depression, these kinds of things. Uh, and if we push against them, and we really we don't want to be with them, and this is the very nature of aversion, if we push against them, then um, <clears throat> we generally end up feeling... <laughs> at the very least, irritable, impatience, and, and sometimes just downright fearful. And I love this acronym for fear. <laughs> Listen carefully. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Well, this is pretty good, isn't it? False evidence appearing real. This is what a kalesa is. False evidence appearing real. And these, these, these kalesas or these defilements have often been, are, are sometimes, often, but sometimes they're, they're referred to as mental torments. Um, and they're fed by uh, restless minds, minds that are uh, 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 just aimlessly wandering around and, and lost in the narrative of me, my, mine, my story. Uh, we're, we're sort of the star of our, of our internal stories. Um, <clears throat> so the question becomes, how do, you, how do we work with these things if we can't even recognize that they're there? Seems like a good question, doesn't it? It seems like it's important to learn when they're there so that there's some way that we can um, deal with them. So if we don't know they're there, then we have to figure out a way to learn how to recognize when they are there. So these are some things that we can do to work with them. These are some things that I've discovered in my own practice that are useful in terms of recognizing these things. So the first thing we have to do, and this may be the very hardest, especially here in the West, we have to learn to relax. 
We have to learn not to make such a big deal about things. We have to just quiet down a little bit and relax. When we do that, we can begin to accept the way that things are or the way that things have come to be in the moment of our noticing. You see? So if a kalesa has arisen and and if we're defining it as a response to an object that's not being directly or, or clearly known or being misperceived, we have to relax enough so that we can accept what is actually there. If the kalesa has arisen and we, we're, we're all over the place, we, we just can't, we will never have a chance to actually see what's going on. So the first thing to do is to try to relax and not make such a big deal out of it. We can also reframe it. So instead of defaulting, like it's so natural for us to do this, we think that these things, uh, that the arisings of, of, of difficult emotions or uh, anything that's, that's causing us stress, we, we think that these things are obstacles in our awareness, that the, we have to like, get them away in order to uh, get rid of them in order to begin to actually practice or to see things. So there's this default, default we default to this, mis- excuse me, we default to this mistaken belief that, that these are actually obstacles to our awareness. Um, but what I'd like to suggest is that if we could begin to notice the place of contention within us, the place that's sort of a, a problem, that's problematic within us, we can, we'll begin to notice that it's actually a gateway to deeper understanding. And we can begin to meet that place of disease within us with some sort of acceptance rather than with aversion, rather than with denial, rather than with pushing against it and resisting it. So um, <clears throat> this is, a, this is uh, cultivating the ability to receive and work with the kalesas with relaxed interest. Just be interested in what's going on, you see? Because in our daily life experience, there's a kind of dynamic life energy that's underlying our stories and our narratives. And this energy, I'm going to call it energy, I don't know what else to call it, but the very nature of energy is that it's always in motion, it's always moving, you see? And it's really hard for us to, to be with the truth of this movement because we so want things to be stable and predictable and safe and certain. But experience is never like that. It's always, it's always in flux, it always ebbs, it always flows. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's unpleasant. But the fact is that it's, it's always moving. So, uh, if we can just simply 
acknowledge that these things come and go in our experience, we can begin to see that the, the very appearance, the recognition of the appearance of the contention within us, of the difficulty, of the stress within us, that it's an opportunity to actually investigate the nature of that disease, that, that discomfort within ourselves. Instead, we, most of us, I shouldn't a lot of us <laughs> reject that. We, we, we don't want to be with the place that, that doesn't feel so good. I mean, it's natural. Who wants to be with unpleasantness? And so we reject it. And so we miss the opportunity to investigate it. So we might ask ourselves in the moment where we feel this contention or this, this wanting to move away from, from whatever is happening, we might ask ourselves simple questions like, what is being known in this very moment? That's the first question. The second question is, what is our attitude about the experience that we're having? What's being, being known and what is our attitude about what's being known? And then the third question that's worth asking is, what is our general state of mind as we are experiencing this? What is our general state of mind? And those are three questions that you can ask yourself in your meditation practice at any time at all. Sit down to meditate, want to follow the breath, the mind wanders, and then we say, I'm never going to get this meditation business. You see? So, what is being known in this, act, in this very moment? In this very moment, what is being known is the mind is wandering. Hooray, we have now seen what's happening. Instead of moving to judgment and beating ourselves up and being unkind to ourselves, self-critical, hooray, we have seen the mind is wandering. So, there's a difference between a mind that's lost in wandering and an awareness that knows wandering mind. Does that make sense? So these are three questions that you can ask ourselves, that you can ask yourself. And these, these stresses that we have, these, these mental torments or defilements, those are kind of loaded words in English, but think of them as just stress. And it could be any kind of stress from the most mundane type of disappointment because we didn't get our way about something to something really profoundly um, charged or moving. But they're common to everyone. There's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced what I'm talking about. And there's not a person walking the planet that is free of these unless you're a liberated being, I guess. There may be a few of those walking around. So um, these things are shared by all of us. They don't belong to any of us. And what's really important, this is a good news message. They don't define us. This is not who we are. This is not... Even if we think it is, this is not who we are. 
So uh, we can learn to be with these things, to meet these things, to meet ourselves and others with kindness and compassion, knowing that this is just part of being a human being. This is really what it's about. Now, the, the last thing that I want to say about these before I move on is that um, when we begin to actually look for and notice these defilements arising and passing in our experience, we, we get the opportunity to see that embedded in them is always the three characteristics of existence. They're always impermanent. They arise, abide, and pass away like everything else. They're impermanent. They're, <clears throat> they're charged with suffering because they're not stable. And, and the suffering, as I said, could be a minor irritation to something that's majorly charged. And they're also always conditional. There's nothing substantial about them, and therefore there's no abiding self to be found anywhere in any of these things, any of these kinds of experiences of, of the defilement. So once this is seen, it's seen. And this is oftentimes the beginning of a real transformation. But first we have to see what's going on. So this whole practice of mindfulness is the way that we do it. So having said all that, I, wanted to, I also want to say that the kalesas are not the only things that uh, determine our experience. And that's not all that we are. We're always a mixture. As human beings, we can touch these sublime qualities of compassion and loving kindness just as easily as we can touch aggression. We can touch tender open-heartedness just as easily as easily as we can be hard-hearted and, and really miserable. And we can forgive just as easily as we can be petty and vindictive. This is, this is the truth. We're, compl- we're not one or the other. We're never just black or just white. We're always the whole, the whole package. And... Um, there's nothing really static or predictable about these identities, or about our identities. The fact is that we're not always the same. And, um, and this is something that, again, everyone in this room shares. It's not like one person is like this and, and everyone else isn't. It's, we all are like this. We're all in this together. So underneath all of these views and opinions that we have, these likes and these dislikes, these preferences, flows this dynamic life energy. And the very nature of the energy is, um, it sometimes feels powerful, so it really can catch us. 
It can, it can hook us. It can make us fall into these patterns of not recognizing when the calaisas show up, not recognizing when we're not seeing things as they really are, not knowing things as they really are, misunderstanding, misperceiving things as they really are. So um, in order to see and accept the way things are in the moment, I'm going to repeat once again, we, we can relax because this is just part of our nature. This ebb and flow is part of our nature. This dynamic life energy is part of our, our nature. And we can begin to meet it with a sense of relaxed interest. Or we can try to. Or we can default to uncertainty and old patterns that that really set off chain reactions in us and keep us doing the same things that we do over and over and over again, where we are lost in anger rather than knowing that anger has arisen. And then anger, we think that we are angry people or we are bad meditators or we are this or we are that. Um, so, so these old habits really catch us. They hook us. And, and when they do, we end up doing very predictable things. We might lash out. We might think that, you know, we're entitled to what we're really not entitled to or whatever. So, um, as I said a little bit earlier, the source of all this is this unfulfilled longing, longing, excuse me, for certainty and security. We want something solid to hold on to. We want something that um, seems reliable. And so we keep looking for this. And doing that, we, we push against the ebb and flow of what's our actual experience is presenting it to us. So we get caught in our patterns of avoidance and pain, and we seek comfort, and then we do the same things over and over and over and over again. So What does it mean to relax with this? What does it mean to lean into our experience? We've all heard the instruction, just turn and look at your experience. This this isn't such an easy thing to do. It It is a skillful thing to do, but it's not an easy thing to do. So there are are ways that we can cultivate that will allow us to actually um, begin to to get comfortable with that way of being. And the first thing is that we can recognize that we have narratives going. 
We've got a story going. And we can drop the storyline just for a moment, just for a breath, just pause long enough to drop it. Because that interrupts the momentum of the mental habit. We've sort of created neural pathways in our brain that default to these uh, to these difficult ways of to, to the reactivity that causes difficulties for us. So we can recognize that we've got a story going, a narrative going, and we can look out for it. And when we recognize it, instead of beating ourselves up for having it, just recognize it and drop it. Just relax. Just drop it. Don't make a big deal out of it. So for a few moments, we can just be present with the shifting sands of this life energy that I'm referring to. And we can experience things just as they are. So to this end, it's important to recognize um, the ways we get hooked And um, it's also important to recognize that the the first step in breaking this is is the recognition itself, the recognition that, uh, that we have been hooked. That recognition itself is interrupting the ancient habit of reactivity and sleepwalking that we're all that, that we're all subject to. And so when we recognize that we're caught by something, we have a choice. We can follow our old patterns or we can choose to respond differently. And um, sometimes these are highly charged moments. And they can escalate very quickly, and things can get out of control. And um, <clears throat> so the, the sooner we learn to recognize when these things are coming up, the, the more we can, we can cultivate this ability to experience what's uncomfortable or unpleasant, what this, when this energy seems like it's really catching us and we're about to spin out. We can learn to be with it and experience it in a way uh, that isn't like fraught with struggle and resistance. And this is really one of the keys to cultivating compassion. This isn't necessarily a talk about compassion, but I really do want to say that. Because uh, as we cultivate the habit of, of responding with compassion, what we're doing is we're Compassion is the ability to see suffering and stay with it. So compassion is the natural response of the heart when love encounters suffering. And in order for us to really be compassionate, allow compassion to arise, we have to be able to see suffering. We have to be able to see it and be with it long enough for the heart to respond. We can't make ourselves be compassionate. 
compassion is a natural response of the heart. All we have to do is recognize suffering and not turn away from it. And when we do that, this is not easy. It requires courage and fierceness sometimes. Um, but when we do that, uh, in bite-sized sort of portions, we cultivate the muscle of being able to be with things that are difficult for longer and longer periods of time. And so um, <clears throat> when that happens, we're actually cultivating this quality of acceptance, which is, in a way, nourishing this whole business of equanimity. So equanimity doesn't mean that nothing's going on. It simply means that your relationship with what's going on, whatever it happens to be, is one of evenness. So, again, if you were to see anger in your, your meditation or your daily life, and you got lost in anger, that's one thing. But when you see that anger has arisen, when you see the kalesa of anger has arisen, and you are able to be with that, that is a completely different experience, and that is what would give rise to, to recognize suffering right there, right in that very moment. That is what would give rise to a compassionate response from the heart. So we have these choices, and we can um, make these choices, or we can obscure our natural intelligence. Um, by just defaulting to our old mental habits. So, uh, we're all, yeah, I, I like this, so I'm going I'm to say this. We're all active participants in creating a nonviolent future. And um, simply by how we work with the truth and our shared common experience of being with that, those places of vulnerability and rawness inside of ourselves, these places where we get hooked. So, so if we can learn to meet those moments, that place within, our, within ourselves, with greater equanimity, with greater kindness, with greater friendliness, we're creating a much better world, a nonviolent world. It's certainly nonviolent within ourselves. And this really does take courage and resolve and determination. It requires curiosity to stay open to this ebb and flow of this energy and, and to experience the actual moment and place of how we get caught, where we get caught, what it feels like to get caught. We have to know what that, that is in order to get familiar with it and not be afraid of it and not run away from it. Make sense? Otherwise, we just default to our old uh, habitual ways of reacting. So there's three things that I want to mention here that fuel our getting hooked by the experience of that, that place of getting caught, that raw place within us. The first and the most important is our narrative, our story, our storyline. Just don't engage it. 
When you know it's going on, just drop it. That's simple. Don't beat yourself up for having a storyline. We all have storylines. That's what it's like to be a human being. But when you recognize it, drop it. That's all there is to it. Don't make a big deal out of it. You don't have to have 10 years of therapy in order to do this. I'm I'm not knocking therapy, believe me. But this this doesn't require... um, (laughs) therapy. Just don't engage it. Go back to square one, even if you're feeling edgy and uncomfortable. Learn to be willing to meet that edgy, uncomfortable place. Because it's part of your experience. And to not meet it is to deny that part of your experience, therefore that part of yourself. And when you deny that in yourself, you deny it in everyone else. So it really isolates and separates us. So this is a, this is a useful thing that I'm, I'm suggesting here. So it requires our full compassionate attention in order to do this. You can't be with that kind of an experience without compassion. It, it requires compassion, and this is where compassion has to be strong and courageous. Compassion isn't some wishy-washy kind of um, experience that so many people think that it, it is. So the, the next thing that I want to say is that when we engage this place, we're bound to feel some level of pain or discomfort. We have to detox from it. We have to... You know, we have to go through a purification, a cleansing. We have to get to know what it is. And then we have to accept that in the process of getting to know what it is, there's a kind of detoxification that's going to take place, a purification. And um, this takes some time and some ability to get used to. And it, it's an opportunity to practice kindness and patience, to just be there with the rawness of the moment. Okay, so um, the storyline, the narratives that we have, they all feed the feelings of unpleasantness. And this comes sort of uh, with like a pull, a force, a momentum, an undertow, and it always has consequences. And the consequences are generally unpleasant. So... This is one of the reasons that it's difficult to be with it and one of the reasons why people don't don't want to be there. But when we pause and we stay with that energy for a while, we can see quite clearly where we sort of bite the bait, take the bait, and, um, and where that's going to lead us again and again and again. So that's what I mean when I'm saying get, if we can get used to these things when they show up in our experience, then we can see clearly not only what's happening, but what's likely to happen. We can see the cause and effect relationship of these things. So uh, 
uh, the main thing here is that our own delusion, our own ignorance, uh, doesn't acknowledge that, uh, that we're hooked. And that's what the real problem is. The problem isn't that we're hooked. The problem is that we don't know that we're hooked. You see? If we knew that we were hooked, that would, be, that would be the beginning of not being hooked. That would be the beginning of the transformation, as I said a little bit earlier. So the real problem is that we don't see, that we're sort of ignorant to this. So this is a, really a transformative kind of a practice, and it's one worth... Um, it's one worth pursuing to try to remain open and receptive to your own energy when you're triggered, you see? And that triggering is not the issue. It's the response to the triggering, you see? It's not the story. It's the way that you are internalizing or holding that story or reacting to that story. It's the attitude that you have. It's the pain that you have in your heart or your gut or your head or wherever you happen to have it. So it's important that, that we learn to acknowledge that, wow, again, I've taken it, I'm hooked, I'm caught, I'm down the rabbit hole again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going down the rabbit hole a million times if you finally get that that's where you're going, you see? So, <clears throat> so this is just a process of learning to stay awake, learning to cultivate and, and abide in a compassionate heart and to interrupt the momentum by, you know, if the best you can do is just to take a single breath to breathe, to pause, and to know, wow, triggered again. Son of a gun. (laughs) So (laughs) learning to be with our own energy, to be with its ebb and flow. This is your life. Stop missing it. Don't reject the energy. Learn to embrace it. Okay. And then three is relax, 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 and move on. Just go on. Don't make a big deal out of it. If it's too much, if it's a big thing and it's too much to be there, handle what you can. Don't make a big deal about it. Just drop it at a certain point. I know it's easy to sit up here and say that, and it's not so easy in the heat of the moment to do But no one said it was going to be easy or that it is easy. But it is worth trying. Really, it is worth trying. You'll see if you try. And if it doesn't work, there's that round file. You can always use that. But it is worth trying. So the three steps are to acknowledge that you're hooked, to pause and take a few breaths, Interrupt the momentum, interrupt that undertow, and then relax and move on. There'll be another experience. There'll be another wave. There'll be another chance. There'll be another opportunity. So try it out. And sometimes the only way that we humans learn 
is the hard way. That's a legitimate way too. So if you're triggered and you begin to know you're triggered and you can't help yourself, you're going to do the same old dumb thing you've always done, then do it and watch what happens. Do it knowing that you're doing it and learn from the consequences. We actually have the ability to learn from our mistakes. So it is worth trying it out. You don't have to put yourself in a situation where you can't ever live up to your expectations or your resolves. And if you do, you're going to suffer. But, you know, you can take something that you quote-unquote sort of screw up at or fail at and use it as, you know, (laughs) a learning moment or a teaching moment. You can learn from your mistakes. Just go ahead and do what you always do and watch the consequences come. They will come. So (laughs) our own personal situations are workable, believe it or not. They really are workable. And we can learn to practice not to bite the hook of every little annoyance that comes along. Our daily life is filled with them. And when we do that, we're cultivating within ourselves the ability to work with whatever lies ahead of us with compassion and wisdom. And compassion and wisdom are the Buddha's wings to awakening. So those are my thoughts for tonight. I hope they've been useful. And there's no clock on the wall, so I'm, I'm watching carefully. It is just now one minute after nine. So, folks, it's been so nice to be with all of you. And uh, when people come together like this to uh, meditate, to practice, to share the Dhamma, to listen to, listen to a talk, a field of, of wholesomeness is created not only in this room amongst us sitting here, but this is, this is something that really does spread out. We cannot just practice for ourselves. Anytime we practice, any moment of practice is something that ripples out to being seen and unseen. So thank you for sharing your kind, good hearts and uh, for your practice. And may all beings be happy and free. Good night.